You're listening to episode four of the Shoulda Backed It podcast. My name is Phil Georgios, and joining me as always is Herald Sun racing analyst Chris Vinicio. A lot of racing since we last caught up, Chris. I see you're off the back of four winners at Flemington on the weekend, so I guess it's your shout now. Yes, welcome back, Phil. It's uh, good to see you after a week off, and yeah, it was a big day at Flemington. It was a pity that you missed out. You're away for the past week, mate. I was watching in the car, um, you know, on the beautiful New South Wales coast. Whereabouts were you? Went to the pub with a, a couple of fellas from our punters club. So, you know, it would have been good for us to for you to join us. But I'm glad that we did catch up with the Cox Plate before you left for your holiday, and you know. I th- it was uh, pretty dicey there. I thought you were going to go to the Halloumi Festival instead. Oh, mate, I wish I was at the Halloumi Festival for the first six or seven races, but we came home with a bit of a wet sail with Liz Gasser, um taking home the, the biscuits in the Cox Plate and a couple others others late in the day. So, um, yeah, no, thanks for the little shout-out for the Halloumi Festival. <laughs> I uh, wish I'd got there, actually. It's always a good day out there on Ligon Street. Well, I was keen to go afterwards. I was trying to push you along to go but a few I think a few of the other members were not so keen so I think we missed out after race 10 at Mooney Valley mate there's not too many people that want to uh, get on a bus out to Carlton I can tell tell you that well anyway let's look back at Derby Day and you know big program we also had the big meeting at Sydney and I'm sure Phil you would have had a couple of horses that you wished you should have backed Plenty of should have backed it. That's uh, that's what we're all about. And don't worry, I've got plenty of those to to line up with. But the number one for me, and I, I do see that you tip this uh, mare in your uh, in Her- your Herald Sun uh, column. But Melody Bell uh, is my should have backed it for the weekend. A you know closing in on ten Group Ones, four dollars. Had a clearly had a uh, class edge over the field at a good price. Should have just been on it. Can't believe I missed it. And yeah, I'm sure you and a few others were on it and cheering at home, but yeah, just a massive mistake on my behalf. Yeah, these mares races are pretty tough, and only three horses were in single figures, and she's paid nearly four dollars. So it's uh, just shows how wide open the race was. I was glad that Pahutakawa didn't get up after being on it last time, and it just looked like this might have been the the race where sixteen hundred where it could have set it up well for her, but. Gee, she's been pretty disappointing you know, since early in the campaign. Yeah, it did look like the race for Pahutakawa. Um, we've talked about that horse a little bit over the podcast. But if you do look at its, its form against Melody Bell, it didn't really yeah. stack up. And I'm surprised it got as short as it yeah, did. Yeah, it was well back, but she's a very hit and miss horse, Pahutakawa. And um, just, yeah, I'm just uh, glad that Melody Bell got up and, you know, got another group one. It's closing in on 10 now. Yeah, and a couple of Group 2s and even a Group 3 there as well. So clearly the class runner of that field. So uh, don't even know what to take away from that big V, but I won't be missing that again in the future, no. I don't think. I think Aristio was a pretty big performance as well. And yeah. looks like maybe 2,000 could be a good trip. I wonder if she's going to back up maybe in the Matriarch or... Or go to Sandown. She looks like she's ready for a win. Yeah, probably one to watch, I think, moving on, if it is continuing its uh, campaign. Uh and you don't get the likes of Melody Bell, uh, definitely one to, to look at, and usually get a decent price for Istia as well. Yeah, she's been pretty big in the market, and um, yeah, just usually I like to have a look at their starting price profile and as a guide, but she's just been big odds each time and has really performed above those market expectations, so she's going well, and yeah, I'm, I'm keen to see where she goes next. 
So I guess we can now move on to sort of who your should have backed it was for the weekend. Do you have a couple or is there one that really stands out? Well, I'm going to move away from Flemington because I did pick a few winners there at the oh, track. Oh, here we go. So I'll go to um, you know the, the big Golden Eagle meeting up at Rose Hill and you know, when Colding got up, I just thought, well, why wasn't I on this? I was on it for the Epsom and you know when it got out and and beat Sunlight, I just and paid a good price as well. I just thought, you know, that's one you missed out on. And, you know, watching the replay, it should have won that race by at least, you know, two to three lengths. It had the door shut on it three times. And then when it did get the... Finally got the split, it got through and just won, won quite well. And and it's that Tiaku shark form that... You know, we, you mentioned Melody Bell. Melody Bell... Ran, I think it beat Tiaku Shark in one of those lead-up races, and you know the Sharks run well in the Cox Plate, and and there we see it again. Colding come out and and win. So yeah, I got to say, mate, there. I got to say, I was stunned to hear that you didn't back Colding. It's one of your favourites. I'm, yeah. I'm actually interested at in who you did back in that race if you weren't. No, on I, well, I stayed out of the race. I thought it, you know, 16, 17 horses. You know, could have been a lottery, and I wasn't sure how Katie Queen would bounce back from the Everest, but she was a bit disappointing, and I think the owner would be, you know, a bit disappointed he didn't get any one of those big prizes. You know, skipped the Cox Plate, chased the twenty million dollars for the two big races, and missed out on both. Tell you what, you mentioned Sunlight. That was a, a great run, and at, there was a point in the race there that it did look the winner, and it. Around the $26 mark, I think there would have been definitely one of our should have backed it well, she, <laughs> if it had managed well, to I get up. I think she was that price clearly because no one thought she'd run out 1500 I mean, I don't think she's raced beyond 12 or even you know got out to 14 So I think there was that, that query. And and also being you know deep in her prep, just how much more she she had left. But you know, she's a, you know just an exceptional mare. She just races better as she gets deeper into her prep and I think maybe that might have been the difference between her and Arcadia Queen. Arcadia Queen really didn't have the type of campaign that was you know suited to the Golden Eagle you know 13 back to 12 and then now to 15 and I know you can say the same about Sunlight because she also ran in the Everest but that was her I think her sixth run of the campaign so she's had a really big you know fitness base to to work off, and and um, I think that's the difference between her and Arcadia Queen. It was a huge run, actually, um, and maybe there's a little bit of scope there for Sunlight in, in the future yeah. to, to get out to bigger distances. But yeah. uh, you did mention that you didn't think she would make the distance, um, so that probably segues nicely into your should have sacked it for the weekend. Uh, yes, it was, and... Um I actually forgotten what my oh horse. mate you, you <laughs> sent through to me you sent through to me thought of that, thought of um, that a horse derby, that we yeah. uh, did have to follow well, previously that, into the derby yeah, and well, it clearly I, didn't didn't yeah, make the two thousand five hundred. Yeah, the reason I forgot is because I really wanted to forget about that <laughs> forget about it because uh, when that was drifting out in the market, you know, I reckon the um, the smarties knew that it was going to struggle on the wet track and. But I, was, I just thought, look, it's, its last start win was just that impressive that I, I backed it to to not only run out the trip but handle the, the wet ground as well. But I don't think the the ride was... I don't think it was given any chance of winning anyway. You know, I don't know how you can be three wide from barrier one. You know, that's <laughs> just... I've never seen that before. But, you know, the, the market knew that it was going to struggle on that track and... 
And that's what happened. It got out to $5 when it was, um, you know, even pushing for favouritism, you know, a couple of days ago. Yeah, it was definitely a derby for the true stayer at Flemington on the weekend, which is where you saw Warning and Southern Moon, really, the more dower-type horses, really, in the lead-up races, you know, streak away from the field quite comfortably in the end. You, to a lesser extent, Soul Patch as well managed to uh, fend off most of the others. But, yeah, didn't the top three didn't really... Uh, you know, get going at all. No, and even um, Shadow Hero, the favourite, struggled as well. Well, when I say struggled, was making, you know, a lot of ground, but it was too too far back. And that spring champion form, I, I did see someone, you know, post on social media that the top four from that spring champion really haven't done anything with the exception of Castel Vecchio. And the Derby is a race that I get wrong a lot of the times and... Definitely not alone on that. No, it's um, and I think maybe that spring champion for maybe we overrate that when they come to Melbourne. So yeah, it's a race that I just you know struggle to get right each year. Question without notice, and looking forward to the Oaks in a few days' time. Uh, is there anything we can learn from the Derby around what we might look at in the Oaks? I think you, I think you sent me a text on Saturday about Miami bound. You know, that, that, finish, <laughs> that that finished behind thought of that uh yeah, yeah substantially behind yeah but uh well as you see um well the winner warning finished you know well behind in that same that race. And, and turned it around and well i'm thinking looking at the for the oaks i mean miami bound and vegas jewel just really you know won easily won the wakeful well one two in the wakeful which was race three or race two at yep. flemington and yeah, I think they're the, they're the two, looking at the Oaks, they should run out the distance. Um, I think Vegas Jewel could be the one that I'm, I'm leaning towards. Yeah, you were a fan of that even before uh, the Wakeful on the weekend, so there's no reason to jump off based on yeah. its performance but I was on, on Saturday. I, was, um, I did have Flit on top. I mean, Flit is the class horse of you know in that race, but I don't know, it doesn't get the 2,000 metres based on that run, but... Again, I thought it was another ride where, you know, back in the field, I mean, you're giving these horses no chance to make up ground. I mean, you've got Miami Bound and Vegas Jewel were that one pair closer in the run and it just gave Flit no chance. It's just, um, yeah, I'm not too sure about that. Yeah, I thought the right, uh, the race um, actually Flit did okay, to be honest, come through for fourth, I think it was in the end. Um, speaking of Raj, you did mention uh, that uh, thought of that managed to somehow get from barrier one to three wide. Um, what did you? What was your take on sort of the re- removal of Linda Meach from that horse prior to the race and Mark Zara coming on after Linda in that race we saw at Caulfield just rode that horse a treat, rated it perfectly, and it really did seem to respond well to her. Um, the the jockey change. Yeah, well, I, I can't speak for the owner and his. Yeah reasons why he changed the jockey. I know there was a lot of commentary uh, about it, and I think a lot of that commentary went into, you know, it's um, you know female, male jockey type argument. I didn't see it that way at all. I just think, I think Linda Meach is one of the best front-running jockeys going around, and, and I think she deserved to be on thought of that in the race. And, you know, particularly after riding the, riding the horse at track work, that day before acceptances, I thought it was a, you know, a pretty um, harsh call to 
Yeah, yeah. And certainly unlucky, but not unusual in racing. It's yeah. just interesting that it did respond so well to Linda in, yeah, in yeah. lead-up campaigns. Yeah. And I think they really looked for that soft yeah. lead on the day in the derby and they just couldn't quite get it. And I'm not sure if Linda being on it would have made any difference, but, yeah, just interesting. Probably, probably wouldn't, but it would have given you a lot more confidence as a punter, you know, to, to back the horse. Because one thing that I do like to look at is seeing who the jockey is on the, on a particular horse and whether they rode that horse the start before because I think knowledge of the horse is so important and she's ridden the horse to win by 12 lengths combined at his, at his last two starts. So I think that you know, intimate knowledge you know, about the horse is crucial. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and likewise, like the horse um, you know, being comfortable with the jockey yeah. as well um, the other way. Um, that's not a great segue, but I'll move on to my should have sacked it for the weekend. Um, and again, it's a second second up should have sacked it for me with the Royal Meeting pulling up with breathing issues, uh, unfortunately for it, but coming last um, in the Cantala. I sent you a text early in the day saying, I just think it's going to be Royal Meeting's day. <laughs> couldn't, have, uh, couldn't have got that more wrong. Uh, it did sort of loom at the top of the straight, but obviously it's come back with some problems. Yeah, it had the throat operation... Um not sure how long ago, but he had the year off between runs. But yeah, I couldn't get, I couldn't get involved in it. I, I didn't think that form, um, the Streets of Avalon form, was good enough for the Cantala. I thought it was either between Fierce Impact that form line, and also the uh, what was the other form line? The, the one I was on, Chief Ironside. I thought it was between those two, and mm. the, I was surprised you weren't on your horse, Cliffs. But that's also. Oh, look, I'm a, I'm a fan of Cliff. I think Mooney Valley, specialist yeah. at Mooney Valley. Um, a lesser extent, Caulfield, but probably just stay away from it at Flemington yeah. usually. I think the long straight can get some of the front runners yeah. at Flemington at times. So nothing against the horse. Yeah. It is one of my faves. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't on it on the weekend, just at the odds yeah. as well. I know we're smart in hindsight, but Always. I think fierce impact, you know, winning again. I think a lot of times the winner from the lead-up race, does get overlooked in favour of the unlucky runner. And Night's Watch was that unlucky runner and started favourite. But um, I'm going to remember yeah. you saying that when uh, we talk about the Melbourne Cup yeah, later on it, today, mate. Yes, um, it does happen often. And I'm um, sure you, you've got a few words you've got you know, to say <laughs> about the Melbourne Cup. But you know, I think Fierce Impact, you know, well, it's paid $8, so it's still a pretty decent price. Um, yeah, but I thought that... Yeah, I think Night's Watch was a bit too tight in the market for me. It's been unlucky a few runs this this prep, so how many times can you be yeah, unlucky? It seems that, and we've got it again this year, that if you run into fourth in a lead-up race, as you say, suddenly you're favourite for the main race, and we're gonna, we almost got that with Constantinople and the Caulfield Cup into the Melbourne Cup as well, where you, you see a nice flashy finish, and suddenly everyone's like, oh, it'll lead up the extra ground, or you know, it's just peaking at the right time for the for the main event. When perhaps it just ran nicely yeah. into fourth. Yeah, and it happens all the time. But did you want to talk about the Melbourne Cup now, or you had some other? We might move on to that topics. later. We'll we'll call that our horses to follow area. I know you wanted to talk about exceedance uh, beforehand because that was your probably your your value bet and your main well, bet, for bet for the day. Best, best bet, best right. bet for the day. So we, we would be remiss for us not to talk about it, Big Bird. Yeah. It, was a fantastic, not only a fantastic performance, but it was just a fantastic ride by Dwayne Dunn and, you know, copped a, a squeeze out of the barriers and I was surprised that he decided to go on the inside rather than stay out from barrier 11, but I suppose that just that squeeze out of the barrier 
probably forced him to go into plan B and he decided to track the, the two main dangers in the race, Bivouac and Libertini. And it was just a fantastic effort to win the, the Coolmore, which was race six. And and the reason I wanted to bring him up as well is on the Monday in the all-in market, he was $3.50. And then when the nominations came out, yes, 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 was added to the market. And so that pushed him out to $4.00. And I thought, oh, yeah, you'll probably get that 350 price when the acceptances come out because yes, yes, yes was never going here. But then when the acceptances came out, he was $5 and um, went out in market and I just jumped on and I just thought that was a great price to be on it, particularly when Bivouac, this was an afterthought race. I think if Bivouac had have missed the Manicato, he would have won this. i tell you what, it looked the winner, Bivouac. And I, again, I was on exceedance as well, so... Um... I wasn't disappointed with the outcome, but if you were on Bivouac, you probably, at about the 150, you probably thought you had it. I think you got a yeah. couple of lengths clear, and it did take a nice sprint from uh, Exceedance in the end to catch it, but once it did, went straight past Bivouac. Yeah, Bivouac um, has ended up starting favourite. It looked like Exceedance might have get back into you know, under $3. It was 3.10 about half an hour before the race, but he's drifted out to 3.80, so... The money went on late for Bivouac, and I think maybe the wet track, I think Exceedance is a slightly superior horse than Bivouac. They both handle it. I think Exceedance has had Bivouac's measure on the wet ground, but they're two exceptional colts, and and Libertini's a, you know, we shouldn't forget her. I think her prep has been a little bit messy because I think the trainer was keen to go to the Everest, whereas the owner wasn't that interested and I think he's decided to go to the T-Rose at 1400 mm. when she wasn't being trained for that distance so yeah. I just think um, you know she was she was outstanding I think in the autumn we'll see a really good a really good filly yeah and I, I guess when you reflect on that race as well from a betting perspective the best three horses and the three horses found in betting were yeah. the ones that ran one two three yeah. so and, Definitely yeah. a trifecta opportunity for yeah. those more savvy players, and, and they're all and they're all backable prices. So I mean, you could back you know Exceedance and Bivouac, and you know come out with a result. I mean, I decided that Libertini wasn't up to their level, and also the rest of the field. I mean, Cosmic Force. I was surprised Cosmic Force um, had a, a few admirers as well. I think I thought he was coming from a, a vastly inferior. Uh, form line so yeah I think it was a great race and a great betting race to get involved in yeah for me that was just about the race of the yeah. day and uh, I do like my sprints down the straight there and yeah I'm glad you glad your well, best bet of the day got up you know well unlike the derby the Coolmore is one race that I I do have a, a little bit of success in and yeah it's one of my favorite races to to get involved in for sure um you mentioned earlier and your shooter back that came from Sydney in in the sprint up there um, what do you, what's your thoughts on the new races in Sydney? Do you think it impacted the day? Did you did you watch them closely, or were you really focused on on Derby? I was focused on the Derby, but I was I did have a interest in the Red Zell Stakes, and this is where I suppose I'm a little bit conflicted because I thought the Red Zell was a good race to get involved in, and I think we were both on trekking. I don't want to speak for yourself. Uh, I, yeah, I had a little nibble, and uh, I thought traffic <laughs> tracking was a great price and. I was surprised that he did get out to 5.50. It was sort of like um, an expectation he would run flat from the Everest. And I supposed he and Parada did 
run, you know, uh, you know, they did run flat from their Everest performances because they were the two clear best runners in that race. And, you know, for trekking to be a point shorter than Champagne Cuddles, I didn't think that was, you know, an accurate reflection of the market. But I suppose in the end, Parada was the better horse and won. And, but I just thought it was a good betting race. But the impact of that is um, how the VRC sprint look next week because these new Sydney races, there's no doubt it's an attack on the Melbourne Spring Carnival because, you know, these horses, Parada, Trekking, maybe Deprive, Champagne Cuddles, they would be at the at Flemington next week for the VRC Sprint, but yeah. there's little chance of that happening. Yeah, so there's a, I guess there's a couple arguments. You can say it's diluting some of the yeah. Melbourne races, and I guess that's the proof's in the pudding when you look at races like the Manicado and then the Sprint this, this Saturday on Stakes Day, but... At the same time, we've had some ripping races yeah. and we, we've talked uh, quite a lot about the Everest and how good a race that was. So I think we've been, as a punter, um, a bit spoiled for choice when yeah. it comes to sprints this year. I know that perhaps it might appear that way from a Melbourne perspective, but from a pure punting perspective, I think we've had a great sprinting yeah. calendar. And I think that's where I'm, I am conflicted because I, to have a scheme where you're offering a bonus for these horses that run in the Everest and also the Sydney Stakes, on which is on Everest Day, to then contest the Red Zell Stakes. I mean, that's clearly designed to prevent these horses coming to Melbourne, and I think that that is wrong. It's, it's, it's not right. I don't know if unethical is the right word. I'm trying to think of the, the right word to describe it. Commercially savvy, maybe? Yeah, maybe, but, but they've been... <laughs> I don't think it's unethical. Yeah, yeah well, I, you, know, you know the... Um, you know, the where I'm going with it. I just think it's not right that you're providing a financial incentive to stop horses coming to another carnival. I, mean, I don't mind having the new races, but to have them so you're stopping these horses coming to the Melbourne, I, th- I, didn't, I don't think that's right. But they've been good betting races, and even the, the Bondi Stakes the week before, um, for a million dollars, it wasn't a quality field. I mean, they could have thrown a quarter of that and they would have got the same field in the end. But if you like Kubrick and you're prepared to forgive him from his Caulfield Guineas run, you got a pretty good price for him. Yeah, look, to be honest, outside of the Everest, I couldn't get excited about the other main races in Sydney this this year. I think probably for a few of the reasons you said. Uh, The Derby Day is so jam-packed with great races that the Golden Eagle, of course, I flipped over to it to have a look, but wasn't really on my radar yeah. as something that I gave too yeah. much notice to, to be honest. It'd be interesting to see how the what the turnover is for that race because just looking at the the TAB totes the for the turnover, the Golden Eagle was just under four hundred thousand, whereas the Derby was one point one million. And I don't think, and I think only three or four races from Flemington had lesser turnover than the Golden Eagle. So I know you've got, you know, fixed odds and the corporate turnover and bet fair, so that's all got to be calculated as well. So I would have thought maybe for the Golden Eagle and for throwing $7.5 million on the race that there would have been more turnover, but um, that's only looking at the totes. Yeah, and it's hard with, I think you alluded to it there, but you've got all the different betting agency yeah. now. 
And, you know, half those betting agencies will give you money back or bonus bets for every, if your horse finishes second, third, fourth, and fifth in some time. So a lot of punters are moving to those apps and doing fixed yeah. bets, which probably takes away from that tote, tote yeah. pool that you're talking yeah. about. But it will be interesting to see how the VRC sprint field uh, lines up. Well, I've been told, mate, I can't talk about Santa Ana Lane anymore. We've used up our Santa Ana Lane quota for the series already. Well, I think... But you you can rest assured who will be on. Yeah, well, I reckon um, one thing not having Parada and Trekking there next week is that it should be... Santa should be a sure thing nearly, and this depends on what price we get for her... Oh, for him. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. If we get $3, which I expect we will, that looks pretty good to me. So the podcast, we, uh, we're having a chat on the Sunday after the Derby Day, obviously. So in two days' time, it's a big one, the Melbourne Cup. And we did want to do a little bit of a preview of the Melbourne Cup. It's not usually our, you know, our remit to talk about horse races coming up, more of a review show. But we did want to just run through our tips. And we've got our expert here, Chris, who's been uh, slaving away all day, working out, looking at the barriers, looking at the saddlecloths, looking at all the different form lines. And he's got some... You've got some advice for us, mate, on where we might want to look well, on Cup Day because well, I've got so. no idea. I hope so. It's a it's a tough Melbourne Cup. I thought um, last year's race, at least, there was about maybe 10 horses that you could cross off and and it was still hard to find the winner. I reckon this year there's maybe, you know, five to six that you can rule out definitively. So it's, it's not easy and... There is so many chances. I don't know where to start. Where do you want so, me to start? Yeah, we just want your top eighteen, then I guess. The top eighteen. No, no. Let's just maybe make cut it down a bit. If okay. we're doing our first four or something, what are our yeah. top four or five? My, in what my order? Top four. I've got now. There's two main form lines. You have got the I think the Irish Saint Ledger and the Caulfield Cup are the the two main ones. And I'm I'm going against the Caulfield Cup form this year. I'm leaning towards this Irish Saint Ledger form. So I've got. Um, in my top four, I've gone with Southern France on top. On top? Ahead of Cross Counter. I've gone with Constantinople for third. And Il Paradiso as my fourth selection. And I know Il Paradiso ran in neither of those races, but um, if you're going on recent history of northern three-year-olds running well in the cup, he fits that profile. So I want to make sure I've got him on side. And then, if you want me to keep going, we've got Prince of Aaron, and then Finch and Vaughan de Clare after that. All right, we've almost got a top 10 out of you then. So Southern France is, is your call. Um, I didn't expect you to say that. I'm, I'm now looking through its form because <laughs> it wasn't in my top five. No. So Well, it's, it's found form at the right time, and in that Irish St. Ledger, it ran third, fit ahead of Cross Counter, Master of Reality, uh, Latrobe, and Twilight Payment. So plenty of contenders coming out of that same race. So, um, yeah, I've gone with it on top. It's more speculative, but I think it's finding form at the right time. And I think those internationals that are, we haven't seen yet might be stronger than what we did see in the Caulfield Cup. And you can line a little bit of that form through Mustagia that ran sixth at Caulfield. Gee, you're a better man than me if you can line up all that form, Big V. But I, I want to bring up the elephant in the room here. Uh, I should have backed it from, from one of our first episodes, Murder Glass. 
the favourite. I don't think it got a mention in your top eight then, and um, I'm wondering what's going on. Fallen out of love this quickly. I have some doubts about it at 3,200, and I think that's the obvious. Yeah, and, the and obvious I think the track as well, yeah, maybe if track. it's playing wet. Well, yeah, and as that as well, and Barrier 2 gets back. Um, the Caulfield Cup was the first time it did run at 2,400. Most of its runs had been that 2,000, 2,200. So 3,200 is a test. And I thought against these uh, European horses that are probably stronger over that 2,800, 3,200 metre distance, um, I think Murder Glass is a false favourite. I know the Japanese did win the Melbourne Cup, you know, what was it, about a decade ago. A decade ago. Um, but I don't think the Europeans that came here at the time were as strong as they are now. Yeah, look, I've um, I've just been in the car for a few hours, so I did my little uh, little form of the Melbourne Cup just from a mug punter perspective. Obviously, you listen to Big V's tips there; definitely put more time and effort in. But I definitely had Murder Glass on top. I, I don't know how you can overlook the Caulfield Cup run. I understand that. The distance might is new, new and all of that, but it made two huge runs in the Caulfield yeah. Cup. So one thing I'll say is you certainly can't have anything that ran behind it in the Caulfield Cup in front of it, in my opinion. And so I just think it's a great bet if you can get sort of eight, nine dollars on the day, which you may. Yeah. I think with a, when a few people come for these um, other Europe, these European horses, uh, it's definitely marked yeah. on top for me. Uh, after that, I did have Constantinople. I think it and Il Paradiso, you're right, have that same profile as the last two winners. Um, although I, I noticed that they've been given a little bit extra weight. Um, some mistakes were made with those around the handicap that they got, given they were northern um, northern hemisphere uh, three-year-olds. Then how much more weight are they getting? One kilo, one and a half kilos? I mean, what... What difference is that going to make on these, you know, five hundred kilo can, horses? Over thirty two hundred, I think it can make a difference. I think at the top, I think at the top end, but at fifty one, fifty two kilos, I don't think it will make that much of a difference. Uh, the only thing I'll say about Il Paradiso, I don't think it comes with the same form that Rekindling and Cross Counter did in previous campaigns. It doesn't read as well from my perspective, but still, because of that profile and the fact that these horses have been so successful, I, I can't leave those two out. The one, I don't know if you mentioned it, it might not have got a mention until well late in your discussion, is uh, the Prince of Arran. I think um, it's always thereabouts. It obviously loomed to win last year, and it'll have a five and a half kilo swing on yeah. cross counter from that particular event. So I think it's, it's well in this race. Yeah. And Prince of Arran is, um, is an interesting one because his European form is inferior to to most others in the field, but when he comes to Australia, he just goes to another level. I mean, there was not much between him and Red Galileo in Europe, but he, at the, in the Geelong Cup, you know, there were lengths difference. Yeah, and uh, it, we've, we mentioned it in one of our previous podcasts, but it does seem to grow a leg here in Australia. And given that it's, not, it's about the same weight as last year, it's meeting cross-counter better, and the other form lines are so hard yeah. to sort of draw on. I, I don't see any yeah. reason to jump off it. So it's yeah. definitely in my top sort of three, yeah. and along of the, with Constantinople yeah. and Murder Glass. And, it, and, it, and he's one of those rare international horses that can back up, you know, from from racing. He's had he had three starts last year in Australia. He's going to have a, his third starting the Cup again this year. Whereas you know other internationals like we saw with Marmelo. They only have that one big fresh performance in them, and they need a you know a significant gap between the next run. So he's got that in his favour as well. He just 
he can handle you know hard frequent racing and the other thing i like about him too is that you're going to get 20 dollars on the day so mm-hmm. if we're going to race what we've just admitted it's very hard to sort of analyze we might as well get some value at while we're at it so um that probably wraps up the melbourne cup discussion i, I will i was whilst i was having a bit of a look at the melbourne cup i did peruse some of the stats that are involved in previous Melbourne Cup winners. So this is very important for mug punters because, I mean, you go off and do your analysis and look at what happened in the Iris and Ledger. But I've I'm, I'm got a little bit of a, a, an option for those people that probably don't have that time but just want to look at the history. So Barrier 5, the most successful barrier in the Melbourne Cup. Four and five years old, most successful age. Carrying between 54 and 55 kilos with a saddle blanket of 12 or 4 are the key criteria for the Melbourne Cup. So out of that, I couldn't find a horse that matched all those uh, criteria, but I could find two that did fit somewhat into that. So you've got Cross Counter, Barrier 5, 4 or 5 years old, and you've got Prince of Aaron carrying 40, 54 and a half and with a saddle blanket, I think it's number 12. So if you are about history, Cross Counter and Prince of Aaron are your horses. I would have thought Constantinople might have fit that. Um, barrier uh, 7, it's got less than... Didn't have the weight, didn't have the, uh, the barrier, got, got didn't have the saddle blanket. No, it's all about history, yeah. Big V. So um, we won't stop there because you wanted... I, I was surprised by this. I didn't have it on the running sheet because I thought there's no way Big V's had any time to look at any country meeting since I saw him last. But apparently you have and you've got something for us. Does, is, does Geelong count as a country meeting? Uh, I think so. Yeah, of course. Why not? Well, the, before we go into what I did see at Geelong, um, one horse that we did mention in a previous podcast, Hint of Mint, did run on Cox Plate Day. I was surprised it was going to make that big jump to a city meeting on Cox Plate Day. Very quickly too. Yeah, in a week. second up and yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a short back up and ran fourth, so it was a commendable performance. I was hoping maybe it might have run in an easier race, but... Yeah, we'll see where he goes to next. So, well, I think it's a filly. So that was a good performance, hint of mint. But the one that I was looking at last week at Geelong and was uh, Impey. I think it was race six on Geelong Cup Day. It was beaten by Harbour Views and Otorto. And I think what impressed me most about Impey was he was, I think he was coming from 1,200 metres up to 1,500 metres and might, might have had that fitness disadvantage up against Harbour Views. And so I was keen to follow up on Impey, but just so happens that all three of those horses are nominated for the same race on Oaks Day. Oh, there we go. This week. Oh, Har- you've done well. Harbour Views is looking to keep his unbeaten record going. I think that was Impey's first career loss, so one of them had to lose. And Otordo's run was quite good as well, but... I was leaning towards more Impy as a horse to follow because he was jumping from 1,200 to 1,500, which, he, which can be a test. But um, Impy is nominated for an, another race as well, um, an 1,800-metre race. I think the other race is 1,600. So we'll see where Impy goes. But, yeah, that um, looks like maybe a good bet this week. All right, well, uh, yeah, no, I've just checked. Geelong's definitely in the country, so well done, Big V, on following that up. And uh, look out for Impy, uh, listeners of the Should Have Backed It podcast. Uh, we'll leave it there. That was our review of the uh, Derby Day and a, a little bit of a look forward to the, the Melbourne Cup. Uh, it's a big few days of racing in Melbourne, so if you get out to the, the track, good luck out there. 
Um, and if you want to contact the show, you can always do that at the shouldabacted at gmail.com email address or via Twitter. Big, Big V's been working the Twitter handle very hard recently with some uh, very insightful and pithy comments. So definitely one to keep a look at it at shouldabacted. Um, and yeah, if you like the podcast, please download, follow or subscribe. Um, we're now on iTunes. That's very exciting. So if you are, are a listener on iTunes and want to listen to us a bit more, this, uh, this is the fourth episode. So please do and write us a review. Cheers. Good luck on the punt, everyone.